Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. There's probably no more contentious time on the Chicago City Council than when aldermen reconsider ward boundaries. That happens every 10 years when the U.S. Census is complete. It's that time again, and aldermen who represent a growing population are demanding that their representation reflect that. This weekend, we'll talk with a leading player in this upcoming debate, the head of the Chicago City Council's Latino Caucus. Hello, I'm political editor Craig Delamore, and this is At Issue. My guest this week is 36th Ward Alderman Gilbert Viegas. He is has been on the uh, City Council since 2015, and he chairs the Council's Latino Caucus. He also chairs the Council's Veterans Caucus. He's a U.S. Marine vet who served tours in Operation Desert Storm and Desert Shield. Uh, before he was elected to the Council, Viegas was Chief of Staff for the state's Capital Development Board. That's the agency that oversees new construction projects for state government. And he's been a champion at all levels for more Latinos and other minorities getting government contracts. But now he is spearheading efforts for more Latino representation on the Chicago City Council, and some aldermen might feel as if they are fighting for their political lives. We're conducting this interview via Zoom conferencing. I am at City Hall and Alderman Viegas isn't. Uh, so Gilbert Viegas, welcome. Thank you, Craig. Thank you for that introduction. Um, well, let's, uh, let's get right into it because we do have a lot to talk about. Uh, at any level of elected government, redistricting is a most serious business. Um, let's face it, whoever draws the map really controls the fate of, in this case, the uh, alder persons or in other cases, state lawmakers or Congress throughout the area. So set up for us, explain the situation right now that is facing Chicago and the Chicago City Council. Well, right now, um... Just in, in August, we received the uh, full census data from the federal government. Uh, as you know, we, there was a delay uh, due to the pandemic, and so we're a little bit behind uh, with the data. However, it was, it was given to us in August, and right now um, the city's uh, team is, is reviewing the data as well as the respective caucuses are reviewing the data to determine where the growth occurred. Uh, the good news is, is that the city... Uh, and the state did not lose uh, any population um, for the whole decade of, uh, of 2010. We heard nothing but doomsday scenarios that everyone was leaving Chicago and leaving 
Illinois. So it was good to see that um, that, that did not occur. Uh, and the reason why it did not occur was um, can be attributed to the fact that Latinos decided to make Illinois and fr quite frankly, Chicago, uh, their home. So right now we're in the process of looking uh, at the data to determine where the growth occurred uh, with our consultant. And, um, uh, and then we will actually begin to uh, independently go into um, the map rooms to kind of look at uh, your, what your current uh, map looks like uh, and then look at where the growth occurred uh, to begin to map uh, for the next decade. Uh, and, and Craig, just so you know, this map that we're gonna draw now will be in existence until 2035. So it's, an, it's important uh, to not just look at the current snapshot of the census, but take into account the trend in the way that the population is growing. Uh, and I say that meaning that, for example, in, in my area, I, I have a, a couple of precincts that were in 2010 at 22%, 23% Hispanic, but here in 2020, they're at 41, which would signal that the, the trend is that more Latinos are moving Northwest because of the gentrification that's been occurring in the city of Chicago. Hmm. Um, and overall, uh, Latinos have been the, uh, the fastest growing ethnic or racial group uh, in Chicago for, for some time now, I believe. And uh, right now make up about 30% of the city's population, right? That, that is correct. I mean, when you take a look at, uh, there's just a lot of factors that there, I mean, had it not been for the Latino growth, we would be talk, we would be looking at losing another congressional seat. Um, so that means that that's another voice in Washington, D.C., making sure that Illinois, it's getting its fair share of resources. I mean, if when you look at the federal level right now, we are actually a donor state. Uh, and so Congress, and uh, it's important that we have enough of a population in order to, to ensure that we have enough congressional seats. So that way, when the appropriation occurs, uh, we're just making sure that we, the state of Illinois is getting its fair share. And I think it's important to, uh, to stress for our listeners that when we are talking about population, a lot of federal aid, frankly, a lot of almost any kind of aid is keyed upon how many people are in an area. So that is vital uh, to the future of the city and the future of uh, a number of areas and education, especially too. Um, Absolutely. When you, I mean, there's a deep dive going on about the, uh, the numbers right now, but at first blush, what kind of things are you seeing when you look at the big picture and the, the overall data? Well, at, at first um, glance, it's, you know, again, good news that Chicago did not lose any population and actually gained population. Um, you're also seeing that the central central area of the city uh, downtown um, has seen a, a huge uptick uh, in population. Uh, the northwest and southwest sides uh, have grown a little bit, um, but what's glaring is that the south and west sides of the city have seen a huge population decrease, uh, and that's concerning because I mean the bottom line is that uh, we we want to make sure that the whole city as a whole is growing and not just certain areas of the city. And therein lies the, uh, the issue for the city council redrawing its map. Uh, because there, you know, if you squeeze the balloon or if you make the balloon bigger in one part, that means it's getting squeezed somewhere else. And it sounds as if, uh, frankly, 
predominantly African-American wards have been seeing the exodus. Uh, and uh, that means something when it comes to drawing a map and drawing the ward boundaries, right? Yeah, I would say, you know, um, you've seen over the last two decades, approximately 280,000 uh, African-Americans leave Chicago. Um, it could be for the South suburbs. It could be uh, for maybe, um, maybe they're retiring and deciding to re retire uh, elsewhere. But that's, that's, a, that's a big number, 280,000. Um, and as you stated earlier, the federal dollars that are attached to people through the census, that's a, that's a huge amount of money that, that has left uh, Chicago. And so um, there is gonna be the, the reapportionment that's required every 10 years. And I think that um, as long as everyone can come to the table um, willing to negotiate and compromise, I think that it's not gonna be a, a baddest process as everyone's uh, painting it out to be. I think that there has to be uh, an acceptance of what the data is really, quite frankly. I mean, the data dictates that, uh, was no strike that the legislation, uh, according to redistricting, uh, requires us uh, every 10 years to reapportion the wards um, as we equally as possible based on population. And so the data is going to show what the numbers are. And then from there, we'll take a look at reapportioning the wards accordingly. Uh, the Voting Rights Act also comes into play as well um, because of the fact that um, African American and Latinos and also Asians are also covered under the Voting Rights Act. Uh, that is going to be another factor that quite frankly, the attorneys will have to try to figure out uh, as we begin these discussions. But just like in any type of negotiations, you have to have willing participants on both sides in order to get things done. Uh, if any one party is dug in uh, and not willing to compromise, then there lies the issue uh, where it can become a lot more contentious uh, and quite frankly, cost the city millions of dollars um, through the, uh, if, we, if we have to go to referendum. Yeah, and now I'm, I think I'm correct that you haven't been through one of these before, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, that's, that's correct. I, 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 was, I was always a uh, bystander and an observer, uh, um, but as fate would have it, I find myself right in the, the thick of it. And I think that, um, uh, again, someone who um, understands and uh, contract negotiations and, and business, I think that uh, I'm at the right place at the right time because I think that we're going to need all um, all participants um, willing to negotiate uh, and come and compromise uh, in order to get something done, um, which which is required uh, every every uh, every decade. But let me ask you flat out: Do you expect that there is going to be that? Uh, I, I was around for the last one, and. You know, back in the day, as they say, you could count on African-American and Latino communities to support each other's goals. Um, but first, I think maybe in general, you can correct me if I'm wrong, uh, that that dynamic has changed a bit on some issues. But also, if we're talking about a reapportionment, uh, that means some some representation is going to have to change, and that means that there may be fewer African American aldermen 
in the city council if that reapportionment goes according to the numbers, right? I think, I think, well, let me, let me address the, the first issue as it relates to African-American and Latino working together. I think that um, there are a lot of issues that are similar um, and not foreign to both, both uh, communities. Um, and so definitely, we definitely have to find ways, uh, especially right now, where 32, 32 of the 50 members of the city council are uh, African-American and Latino. 32 out of the 50. Um, so which means that right now, a lot of discussions should be had by our respective caucuses as to what are the issues plaguing our communities. And uh, as a budget, as in a budget appropriator, what are we doing to ensure that these, our communities have the proper resources to combat the, the issues that are plaguing our, our communities? Um, unfortunately, we haven't had those discussions um, because a lot of times um, the, the budget process, um, the legislative process um, are not being led by the legislators. Um, and so that's something that has been going on for decades. So this is nothing new. So I think that um, with the newer members that are coming on board, you're starting to see a lot more um, eagerness by the new legislators to actually legislate. Uh, and not just deal with uh, city services, dealing with potholes and, 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 um, and tree trimming, but dealing with the, the bigger issues, uh, the, re you know, the appropriation of ARP, ARP, ARP money, um, legislation around uh, business, legislation around public safety. I think those are things that historically have not been done um, uh, to, what, to the frequency you're seeing now by legislators, by aldermen. Um, that, that you're seeing I mean, are right you, now. Are you so, basically suggesting that it's being done from the top down? It's being done from the fifth floor? Well, and that's been going on for, for years. Yeah. I mean, the fact that the city council members who are the budgeteers, the appropriators, don't put forward their own budget, but really just accept whatever the mayor's budget is, um, is has been a problem because that does not occur uh, in, in the General Assembly, uh, Congress, uh, and, and there has to be that check and balance um, when we're talking about um, the appropriation portion. So I think that that's something that unfortunately just hasn't been uh, something that aldermen have historically done. But you're starting to see a lot more of the younger, newer members um, asking those questions and really putting forward legislation that, that talks to that. Um, and again, 32 of the 50 aldermen, that means that quite frankly, if there was an agreement on something, we could pass something that we both agreed on because you need 26 to pass something. Um, so I, I, think, I think that um, uh, there's a, a ton of work to be done on that. Um, but as I stated before, there are a lot of common issues facing our communities. We just have to work together to address them. Uh, on, your, on, your, on your comments about reapportionment and potentially the African-American community losing representation, I think that that's going to be something um, they're obviously working on. They're working on uh, drawing concept maps um, that will have to get support from um, city council members. And I stated, as I stated before, uh, the African-American community, the Latino community, and the Asian community are all covered under the Voting Rights Act. So just because they're a conceptual map um, and get approval, they still have to, they still have to meet uh, the, uh, the legal process.
So um, those are things that I think if everyone comes in willing to negotiate and compromise and um, look at the data and the reality, I think that we can get to a point where we can get the, the, um, uh, the aldermanic awards, um, the required votes to pass. Is everybody going to be happy? No, but that's, that's compromise. I mean, when you leave a, when you leave a, um, a negotiation, every, every side has not gotten what they wanted. Um, but they've gotten or received the majority of what they were looking for. Have you had any uh, contact with your uh, your counterparts uh, among the uh, the, the uh, Black Caucus uh, that suggest that you are going to be able to sit down and work some of this out? Yeah, so there is, um, I mean, there's some initial discussions. I mean, as I stated, the data's coming in and everyone's taking a look at it, making sure that we're looking at the same data, um, making sure that we can agree on um, what the actual number will be. Because e even though the state statute um, says that we have to reapportion our wards equally, uh, it, does, it does allow for standard deviation to be into consideration um, when talking about growing uh, minority uh, wards. And in the statute, it allows for a maximum of 10% per the statute, but legally um, attorneys are saying that you wanna have as minimal standard deviation as possible in order to ensure if a lawsuit were to come forward, um, the lower the standard deviation, the better chance that the map survives um, and, and could be defended. You're listening to WBBM News Radio's At Issue. I'm political editor Craig Delamore. My guest is 36th Ward Alderman Gilbert Viegas, who chairs the Chicago City Council Latino Caucus, and we are talking via Zoom. Um, where, if there is a redrawing of lines, where do you think the, uh, the Latino populations are that could help swing a ward whether they're, and especially when we're talking about the Northwest side, the, law, the wards that are not uh, majority or substantial uh, minority uh, are white and or predominantly white. Uh, where do you see wards swinging uh, and, being, and that growth being captured? I think when you look at the, uh, the heat map of the population um, and the way that we have it, broken down um, by, um, by, by, by colors, you'll see that um, on the Northwest side and the Southwest side is where potentially um, there could be uh, a gain or two. Um, again, the data is gonna really dictate how that, how that goes out. And then let's not forget about uh, politics, Craig. So <laughs> I think that um, uh, quite frankly, if we were going by data, it'd be a lot easier when you take a look at states like Arizona, where uh, there's, a, in the, there's a, a commission that just does it blindly. Um, you've seen um, the Latino community win. Um, in Arizona, they're, they're talking about three congressional uh, seats um, in Arizona um, that would um, have heavy influence uh, Latino populations. Uh, it's when, uh, you know, with the, with, in, in here in, in the General Assembly, they're looking, you know, they're, the General Assembly draws the maps. 
Um, but then that's when you get into the issue of, uh, you know, and MALDEF, Mexican American Legal Defense Education Fund, is challenging the state's map because they feel that the population, um, the growth in Latino population is not reflective of the representation. So I think with, with all of that, um, I see, you know, the data is demonstrating and showing that the Northwest and the Southwest sites are where we could potentially capture um, maybe uh, majority, majority seats, however, probably in the 60%, 65% uh, Latino population. And I, I recall uh, when after in 2010, um, we had various caucuses with various maps. The Latino caucus had him had a, was smaller then, uh, but had a, had a, had a map. The uh, Af the Black Caucus, of course, had one. We even had uh, back in those days a gray caucus, which was the uh, <laughs> the older white guys who uh, who got together with their own caucus. So. Uh, Fun is ahead. Uh, I do want to turn to another topic that has been uh, something that you've been very concerned about, and that was uh, the number of Latinos in city leadership uh, and, and in decision-making positions within this administration, and to be fair, um, within past administrations, uh, that there haven't been as many. Now, I am compelled to point out that uh, since this issue was raised, you, in fact, you raised it, uh, Mayor Lightfoot, uh, her last three big appointments, I believe, have been people from the Latino community. Uh, Corporation Council Celia Meza, uh, Chief Procurement Officer Eileen Velazquez, and Public Schools CEO Pedro Martinez. Um, you and others have been criticizing a lack of uh, Latinos among top officials in the Lightfoot administration. So how you like her now? Yeah, well, it's perfect timing because the two appointments recently in Mr. Martinez and Ms. Velasquez are happening, happening during Hispanic Heritage Month, um, which are good. We can highlight that and celebrate that. Um, but I'm Hispanic 20, 365 days a year. So I'm constantly advocating for the Latino community um, every day. And um, so that's something that um, um, we've been advocating as a caucus for uh, every, every, every day as well. And um, we're, we're at the halfway point, a little bit past the halfway point uh, of this administration. Uh, and um, to have three commissioners out of 30 um, is a problem, especially when the data based on the census is demonstrating that we're at the 30% level. Now, all, all I'm asking for is a goal a plan of some sort, Hispanic employment plan that would try to get to parity, uh, try to get to a point where it's reflective. You know, we, this the aldermen legislate and appropriate a multi-billion dollar budget on an annual basis. And through that appropriation process, communities are, uh, programs are funded, communities are receive resources, and I think it's only fitting that when you have almost a third of the city, that those decisions that are being made um, through the budget process reflect the communities that they're serving to ensure that the communities are getting uh, it's an equitable amount of the billions of dollars that are being appropriated. Um, and that's something that I've did under the previous uh, mayor, under Mayor Emanuel, and I'm gonna continue to do um, as a, uh, under this administration 
uh, until the point when I don't have to do it anymore, Craig, and people realize that um, it's good to have um, different folks at the table, whether it be African-American, Latino, Asian, um, because we get different ideas um, and we get different, we hear different stories on, on people's um, upbringing. Um, and I think that's important, especially when we're talking about policy and appropriation. And, and isn't the problem, you know, deeper than even having the commissioners? Uh, it's about the advisors, the people, as you said, who are at the table drawing up the plans. So it maybe has to go even deeper than the person who's sitting in the big chair. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And I think, uh, quite frankly, we have a little bit, uh, you know, more say over um, approving or just not proving the commissioners versus uh, the cabinets of, of the executive branch. So the executive branch, they can pick whoever they want and really without any approval from the city. Where we come into play is on the commissioner portion where there is an approval process um, from the alderman. Uh, and if I have to approve an appointment um, and I keep seeing no Latinos being represented, then I have to say something. I mean, I am elected um, by, my, uh, by my community to represent my community. And um, it's, it's, I think they would um, welcome the fact that I'm asking questions about uh, parity and diversity um, because that's the right thing to do. That's what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to work with the administration um, when I can. And if we don't agree, then it's my job to challenge them as well. Um, can I ask also uh, just an extension of this, how satisfied are you with the contracting end of it about the people, the business people out in the community who are Latino, uh, who are getting contracts? So when we talk about contracts, we're going to talk about two, two types of contracts. So we're going to talk about low bid contracts, which are the lowest responsible bidder which is required by state statute, where um, there's an advertisement of a project or, or a product, people submit bids, and then really it's blind. It's like, we, the, the, we, we wanna see who's the lowest responsible bidder. Um, and that's at the prime level. However, there are requirements for minority and women uh, uh, participation. So it's important that if, if the uh, Latino community is not acting as a prime, that they're also viewed or at least viewed in, in the subcontractor role. Um, and so that's something that we're pushing for. We, th th those, are, those are related to low bid. So really, um, if our community is uh, submitting lowest bids, then, then, then we'll, be, we'll be visible on the projects. On the professional services side, sometimes those are negotiated. And I think that there's a little bit more subjectivity there. And I think that's where we wanna make sure that our community is also participating, um, and um, and and I can tell you that right now on the on the engineering side of uh, of the submittals, uh, we, and, and at the airport, um, that some of the some of the projects there, uh, and some of the teams um, don't do not have Latinos in key roles, and actually have them in the subcontracting role on this on the professional service uh, side of it. So that is alarming to me. It's a, it's a multi-billion dollar project. Um, that, that contract, when it, when it got passed in 2018, received unanimous support, which means that um, Latino caucus members voted on this. And so we wanna see 
uh, participation, um, not just as subs, but at the prime level. And I think another extension of this has to be considered uh, what kind of uh, programs you see coming from the administration. Uh, are there areas where you want to see more action? You talked about the kind of budget decisions being made. Is it in community development? Is it in healthcare, yeah. uh, education? No, absolutely. Yeah, so absolutely. I mean, I think the initiative that um, uh, this administration put forward, and I supported the Invest Southwest initiative um, of uh, investing in communities that have not seen uh, investments in quite some time. Uh, I think it's a good first step, but I think it's now it's time to move on to a 2.0 version as well um, and begin to take a look at incorporating uh, other communities, um, specifically the Latino community, because the Invest Southwest um, communities that were identified had zero um, Latino uh, communities. Uh, I mean, it has Humble Park, but where the work is occurring uh, is not occurring in Humble Park where the Latino community is, is existent. Uh, and it is occurring um, very minimal. And so I wanna make sure that as this Invest, Invest Southwest project is um, in its, in its uh, second year um, or year and a half of existence already, I think it's time, it's time to start talking about the 2.0 version of, of a community uh, program like that for investments uh, and start shoring up uh, some of these corridors uh, within other communities as well. Believe it or not, I have a lot more I wanted to ask you, but we are out of time. Thank you, Alderman Gilbert Viejas, uh, uh, the chair of the Chicago City Council Caucus. Thanks for spending the time with us. Um, to Thank our you, listeners, Craig. I appreciate it. it was very, we'll have to talk again. Uh, to our listeners, if you'd like a copy of this program or just to hear it again, please visit our website, wbbmnewsradio.com. Uh, you can also find our podcast on radio.com. I'll be back next week with another edition of At Issue, and I hope you'll be listening. Until then, I'm Craig Delamore, News Radio 780 and 105.9 WBBM. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. T-Mobile.com. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Oh, oh, oh. 
Check your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.